Hey, welcome to episode 11 of the Bedford Bible Church podcast, and we're going to continue going through uh, one of the messages I preached a few weeks ago from Mark chapter 6, and again, the goal here is, is not to fully expound the passage, but just to give a brief review and to focus on the application, and then the goal is that it gives us a chance to reflect a little bit more on what we've learned as a church, and also to prepare us for what's ahead. And uh, again, I'm still behind. One of these days I will get caught up. Uh, but today we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, and this is going through a message that I preached, as I said, a couple of weeks ago. And here we're going to look at the potential of faith. Uh, we read in Hebrews that without faith it's impossible to please Him. We have to have faith, we have to believe, if we're going to see God work in our lives. And in Mark chapter 6, it tells us that Jesus went out from thence, and He came into His own country, and His disciples followed Him. So Jesus has returned to Nazareth. He's gone back to uh, the town where he grew up, and it says that he began to, on the Sabbath day, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, from whence had this man these things, and what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. So Jesus begins to teach, and, and he's, he's talking to the people that he grew up with. You know, we sometimes forget that Jesus spent 30 years on this earth just living a regular life, a perfect life, a sinless life, and I'm sure in in its own ordinary way it was exceptional, but it was just a regular life, and more than likely he would have followed in the footsteps of of uh, Joseph and being a carpenter. Um, but as a brother, as a son, as a friend, a neighbor, a, a work colleague, there would have been something exceptional about him in that he was sinless. And I don't believe he performed any miracles until the wedding uh, at Cana in Galilee. In, in John chapter 2, we're told that that was the beginning of miracles. And, you know, I think it was exceptional, but it was ordinary. So here are people he's worked for, worked with, grown up with, gone to synagogue with. And now he's back, and I, I have no doubt that they heard about him and everything that had been happening throughout the region. But now he's back there, the second time he's there. The first time he was there, he was, he was chased off, and now Jesus returns, which is a testimony to his grace. And, and again, they say, from whence had this man these things? You know, he, he's just a man. He's, he's just like one of us. He's Mary and Joseph's son. He's the carpenter. And there's a, a tone of rejection even in that question. They, they didn't really think about what he was saying, but they were focusing upon who he was. Um, and, and so they missed out on what he was trying to, to teach him. Uh, they were stumbling, it tells us later on um, in verse 3 there, that they were offended at him. They said, Is not, this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and of Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? It says they were offended at him, they stumbled. And, and that word offended um, was where we get our word for scandal, for scandalized. And, you know, all the way through Mark, there, there's occasions when he talks about people stumbling. And every time, it's because they get fixated upon something, a reason to not believe, despite all the reasons they had to believe. And focusing on the one thing that they can't wrap their heads around, they stumble. They refuse to believe, and so they, they miss out on what Jesus is teaching and on what Jesus is trying to do. They rejected Jesus' message, his wisdom, because they doubted the source. They were magnifying themselves. They were looking at him in a sense and saying, well, he's just like us. You know, why should we pay attention to him? 
And maybe they feared the consequences. They knew that the Pharisees had turned against him already and then perhaps they were just trying to preserve themselves. Ultimately, all unbelief comes down to pride. It's saying that we know better than God. It's, it's saying that what I don't know is, is more important than what I do know and so I choose to not believe. Uh, ultimately, with everyone, we don't believe on occasion because we choose not to. There's plenty of reason to. And within belief, there is that aspect of faith where sometimes we just have to trust and we step out. And, and we don't wait for all the answers, but we have reason to believe. There, there are all kinds of reasons to trust God's Word. So there's the refusal to believe here. There, there is the, the pride of unbelief. But then as we go into verse 4, we see the paralysis of unbelief. Uh, verses 4 and 5, and in verse 5 it says, He, Jesus, could there do no mighty work. So we could wrangle about what it means that he could do no mighty work there. Would Jesus have done a mighty work anyway? We can spend a lot of time thinking about exactly the relationship between faith on our part and God, action on God's part. But ultimately the plain reading here is something we take. He could there do no mighty work. The people refused the blessing. It's almost like, you know, if you are outside and it begins to rain and you raise an umbrella, it's not stopping the rain, it's just refusing, rejecting the rain from falling on you. And so the people here were offered a blessing. They were offered the, the very presence and the power of Jesus. And they essentially raised a, a philosophical umbrella and they refused God's blessing. And so there was a paralysis here. It's what G. Campbell Morgan refers to as the paralysis of omnipotence. And that may seem like a, a contradiction, but um, you know, G. Campbell Morgan, I, th I think, terms it well there. They refused to receive the all-powerful blessings from God himself. Uh, and it's a serious thing to consider. I think on the, the plain truth of it is that God will not force a blessing on those who do not want it. Now, God will sometimes bless us even though we may not have prayed for something. We never deserve it. But, you know, we Jesus isn't going to force us to be blessed uh, beyond our choosing to receive it. Some people don't believe because they're double-minded. Some people don't believe simply because of sin or, uh, you know, they have some kind of a bias or they've got pride or whatever the case may be. But, you know, not believing in Jesus doesn't mean that we are wholly rational, as some would say. We substitute one belief for another. So even if we don't believe in Jesus, we believe in something. And if it's not believing in the truth, then it's believing in error. And here we find one of two occasions when Jesus is astonished uh, or marveled. In verse 6 it says, He, Jesus, marveled because of their unbelief. One other time we read that Jesus marveled about something, and that was to do with people believing. So Jesus marveled at their unbelief, and then he marveled at belief. And we have to question where we will fall in one of those two categories, belief or unbelief. We see not only the, uh, the, the pride of unbelief and the paralysis of unbelief, but we see the potential of belief. It says that Jesus could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hand upon a few sick folk and healed them. So those in the village, that tiny village of Nazareth, those who believed, 
they were healed. And so it is with us today. We will see the measure of God's working in our lives according to whether or not we believe. Again, I mentioned at the beginning in Hebrews, it tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. There must be faith. We must believe. For one thing, we're not going to attempt anything for God if we don't believe. If we don't choose to say, I'm going to step out in faith, I'm going to trust that God is in control, we're not going to try anything. And so we're not going to see God accomplish anything in our lives. Uh, we're not going to see prayers answered. Because if we don't believe God hears us, or we don't believe that God can answer us, or wants to, then we're not going to pray for anything, and so we won't see answers to prayer. Whether we are a, a father, a mother, whether you're a grandparent, a brother, sister, employee, employer, whatever it may be, as you trust God, as you believe that Jesus can and will work in your life, whether you feel like you are uh, an employee that has you know, too much work to do to be able to focus on serving the Lord, or maybe you are a father or a mother who's so caught up with parenting that you wonder how you can take part in serving God, uh, maybe you feel like age is some restriction on you because you're too young or you're too old. Uh, maybe you don't feel like you've got the right training or preparation. Whatever the case may be, there's nothing that can hinder God's working in us and through us. And there's no limit to what God can do through us. Uh, some of the, the most looked down upon people in history have been used of God in a mighty way. Uh, maybe they didn't have great speaking abilities, but God used them to lead many to the Lord. Or maybe their you know, influence, their sphere of influence was small, and yet God magnified it in a way that they could have never imagined and perhaps never even knew about until they got to glory. But the fact of the matter is, is when we believe, God can do mighty things. And so, God help us to uh, choose to believe, to not paralyze the omnipotent, as it were, by choosing to not believe, and trust and expect God to do great things in and through our lives. Well, we're going to continue going through the life of Elijah. And so far we've seen Elijah seemingly going from victory to victory. He's facing times of, of difficulty. There has been hurt, there have been struggles. At Cherith we saw him cut down, cut down to size, uh, humbled and prepared for the battle that came. At Zarephath, uh, we had that relation to the word furnace, and we saw that it was kind of a melting pot where the impurities were, were further refined from his life. Uh, but Elijah has now stood atop Mount Carmel. He's seen fire come down from heaven. He's seen some 850 enemy prophets of, of false gods uh, destroyed. Um, he has witnessed the return of rain on the land as, as a a mini-revival began to spread, and he has prayed in a way that shows us that his faith is strong and his walk with the Lord is close. But then we come to 1 Kings chapter 19, and, and there seems to be something of a, a quick change. 1 Kings 19 and verse 1, it says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, so let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Bathsheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough. 
Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And our focus in this message is going to be looking at his struggle and really can be summed up in just those three little words in verse 4 where he says, It is enough. Elijah says, I am done. Uh, when we consider the life of Elijah, it, it seems to be a, a sharp contrast that he goes from victory to seeming complete despondency, discouragement, even depression. And in the next uh, podcast, we'll, we'll look at God's response to him and, and we'll look at some more detailed uh, solutions. But in this episode, we're going to be focusing on what went wrong and how could Elijah have perhaps avoided this time or perhaps found himself recovering from it a little bit sooner, maybe not sinking as, as quite far down as he did. You know, discouragement and depression does come, and I don't know that it can ever be completely avoided. I know that some people are more prone to it than others, uh, and so what we need to bear in mind is how we can uh, strengthen ourselves in the Lord, uh, and we can see how to best deal with it before, during, and after. A.W. Pink uh, points out in, in this context that the best of men are but men at best. And Elijah, again, as we've noted from James several times, was a man of like passions as we are. He faced the same struggles, the same ups and downs. So a few things that we can take note of and, and learn ourselves to perhaps try to avoid or to uh, try to mitigate the, the impact of discouragement and depression. Uh, first of all, Elijah was physically and emotionally exhausted. He says himself, it is enough. He has been to Cherith and Zarephath. He's fled across the wilderness. He's lived in secret. He's lived, you know, hand to mouth for years at a time. He has stood in front of armies and kings, and he gets to this point where he is just done. And maybe you know how that feels, and maybe it's after a day or a week or a year, uh, but you just realize you've reached the end of your emotional and physical and spiritual strength and like Elijah you might say it's enough I've got nothing left as a, a mother or a father as an employee or whatever it may be sometimes you just sit back and you say I I'm done I I've got nothing left to give and this is where Elijah found himself a second problem is that Elijah was caught up in the emotions of victory um, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and, and truly we know it was God that had done it, but Elijah played his part, and, you know, he was caught up in the emotions of victory. Mountain climbers will tell you that very often coming down from the mountain is more dangerous than going up. Marathon runners will testify to the fact that the training is, is difficult and the marathon is hard, but if they don't continue to train and exercise immediately after the marathon, then they face injury, they face difficulty. So even after victory, we need to be on our guard. Sometimes after we've won a great victory, we let our guard down and the enemy finds a way in to affect us. Sometimes after a victory, as we see here with Jezebel, the enemy doubles down on their uh, position and then they counterattack. We have to remember that ultimately we await our place of rest in glory. And it doesn't mean that after every victory we kind of just, you know, sigh and say, well, attack is coming. It doesn't mean we don't enjoy victory or that we dread that one battle will follow another. But it does mean that we remember we're on the battlefield and we're far from home. 
And when we win a victory, we rejoice, but then we always keep one eye uh, open to the enemy attacking. It means that moment by moment, we trust the Lord. We also know that Elijah wasn't thinking realistically or clearly. Many people who are discouraged and depressed will say things that, from a more rational standpoint, we understand doesn't make any sense. You know, if Jezebel here could send a messenger to threaten him, then why couldn't Jezebel send a, an army to kill him? Jezebel knew she was beat. She knew she couldn't touch the prophet. And you know, Elijah could say, well, this is one woman. God has already defeated 850 false prophets, and I did that in the presence of the king, and nobody stopped me. He, he could have fallen back on his faith and said, well, God has always preserved me, and if now he chooses to bring me home, and Jezebel is the means of it, then so be it. But he wasn't thinking clearly, and, and you know, we as believers, as if we know we're prone to discouragement and depression, we need to trust others when they tell us uh, truth, uh, and we need to be prepared to lean on them. Elijah also focused on his fear instead of his father. He listened to the threat, but he didn't take that to God. This is one of the only times, I think, where we see Elijah act before waiting for a word from the Lord. When God told him to go to Ahab, he went to Ahab. When God told Elijah to go to Cherith, he went to Cherith. When he was told to go to Zarephath, he went to Zarephath. When he was told to go to Carmel, he went to Carmel. Uh, you know, every time Elijah waits, and then God speaks and he goes. This time, Jezebel speaks, and he jumps up and runs without speaking to his father. He responded then in the flesh instead of praying. He didn't go to the Lord with what was on his heart, but he simply ran. In verse 4, it tells us that uh, he left his servant there. Sorry, verse 3. He left his servant. So he, he isolated himself from a potentially strengthening relationship. You know, when we're discouraged, depressed, where we're struggling, there can be a tendency to isolate ourselves from others. And, you know, we need to be very deliberate and determined beforehand that if we begin to feel down and we begin to feel like we want to just cut ourselves off from everyone, that there will be trusted friends or a trusted friend that we turn to and say, look, I don't want to be around anyone, but that probably means I need to hear from someone. So would you encourage me? Would you help me? Uh, Elijah here uh, cut himself off from those who may have been able to help him, and we need to guard ourselves against that. And then the final thing, and, and this perhaps sounds harsh, but he, um, he got lost in self-pity. He says, take away my life. He says, I'm not better than my father's. And, you know, Immediately I think, well, which one of your fathers called down fire from heaven and wiped out almost a thousand enemy prophets of, of the false god? Elijah, I think you were better than your fathers in some ways, certainly many of them. And Elijah here, though, not thinking clearly, he starts to wallow in self-pity and he just gives up. And discouragement and depression take hold. Now, in the next episode, we're going to look at God's response to him and we're going to see how gracious our God is with us just as he is with Elijah, but a few things to, to learn from this then. It's wise to look after ourselves physically and spiritually and emotionally. Um, sometimes it's quite lightly pointed out that in the next verse it says that, you know, God basically got Elijah to sleep and eat. And you know, it's true though that we need to look after ourselves physically, get the rest that we can when we can, and to eat in a way which it maintains our our bodies, our temple, uh, and uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, so rest and diet can have a big impact upon the way that we feel and think. 
but that's not the case for perhaps those who struggle the most with discouragement. Uh, we need to also remember that when we win a victory, we don't get distracted by it. We're still on the battlefield far from home, and we need to keep an eye on the Lord and an eye on what's going on around us. Rejoice, but don't sit down yet because there's battle still to be won. We need to lean on God's word, on the truth, and that will help us to think rationally, to, to not go by merely what we feel, but what we know is true. We keep our eyes on God, not the problem. We, we determine to have faith and not fear. And we pray. We don't just act with instinct and turn and run, but we, we choose to trust. We also build up around us a trusted network of, of spiritually mature friends. Each one of us should seek out a mentor, someone that we trust and respect, uh, someone who we recognize as being further along in, in their walk in faith than we are, uh, that we want to model ourselves after, and who we give permission to encourage and rebuke us. And then humbly worship. The, the way to avoid self-pity is to take our eyes off of self and look to the Lord. So some practical things here we can learn from Elijah in terms of how to deal with difficulty and depression. And I understand there's, there's medical conditions, there are all kinds of things which can make it very difficult. But for most of us, the depression and discouragement are spiritual issues that have, for the most part, spiritual solutions. So I trust that this has been a help to you and that we can continue learning from Elijah on those days when we just sit down and say, it's enough, I'm done. We choose to trust the Lord, lean on Him, and we prepare for the next day. May God bless these thoughts to our hearts.